Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So this morning, as we are continuing our October worship series on felons in the faith, we come to Joseph. And I originally wanted to open with Joseph, but I don't think he wanted to stand for all 39 of those verses. That would have been rather excruciating. And so I did end up switching it around, and I'm kind of glad I did because this week was a time when we were preparing uh, some of our volunteers and fellow church members were getting ready to go into the prison ministry in Fluvana, the women's correctional facility, with Kairos, which is a prison ministry that is active all over the country, but especially fruitful here in Virginia. And Mary Alice Gaskell is one of our church members who usually attends 930 worship. She has a rather large hat that you can see her by. And she was getting ready. She's the one that asks us to bake the cookies for Kairos. She's the one that preps those strips that we made into a prayer chain that we sent into the prison to circumnavigate the gym where they'll be holding their events this weekend. And as Mary Alice was getting ready to go into the prison system, things just didn't seem to be working out well. She's not a novice at this. In fact, this is her seventh one in a row that she has helped lead. And she knows that there's a lot of preparation that you do, so things will go smoothly once you get inside. And yet it seemed like every time they prepared something, it got thwarted or it didn't turn out like they wanted. And as Mary Alice was wrestling with this, she showed up on Wednesday to pick up the rest of the cookies that had been brought in to go into the prison system. And she just didn't look like she was very happy. And we sat down and I said, what's going on? And she proceeded to tell me that it felt like they were under attack, that it felt like that everything was going wrong so that this prison ministry would not be a success. And I could see in her and I could feel radiating from her this frustration, this sorrow, this disappointment, and really kind of a fear that everything was just not going to work out. And I remember saying to her in that moment, you know that God is with you. You know that God wants you to do this. This is precisely what Jesus tasked us with doing when he said, go visit those in prison. And you also know that God is already there. You are not bringing God into the prison. God is already there. God has been at work preparing for you to arrive. God has been opening up hearts so that those that were residents inside the facility would be willing to go into a weekend for Kairos ministry, has been working on the staff and those that were in administration so that they would be open to having it once more. God has been preparing the way, and now you are getting ready to show up. And I said, and let's just change how we're going to talk about it. Instead of using language of feeling under attack, which makes us defensive and kind of encase ourselves and be prepared to repel attacks, why don't we try this? Instead, let's say that we know that we have done all that we can do and that now we put it in God's hands and we are going to go in with hopeful expectation because we know that God can do anything. God can make glory of our mess. God can transform our ordinary into the extraordinary. I said, you know this, Mary Alice, you've seen it, you've encountered it, not only in Kairos, but in your time in the local church, in you yourself, you know this. Whom have you to fear? 
You know that you can do this. And I watched her change. I watched the way she stood and sat. I watched her words change. And I knew that she was going to go in there. And when she comes back, we will hear about the incredible things that God did yet again through Kairos ministry. But as I'm talking to her, it occurred to me, well, you're a hypocrite if you don't practice what you're preaching right now, because I was having a really bad day. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to get everything done, and I was becoming bogged down and mired in some of the administrative pieces of things, and I wasn't really feeling really worshipful and joyful. And so as I talked to Mary Alice, it occurred to me, you know what, you've got to do the same thing. You need to choose to let your words and your thoughts be about the positivity that God is going to bring forth rather than simply mourning and suffering in your present. And that's what Joseph was teaching all of us. Joseph, you would never have thought, you would never have thought that Joseph would be suffering the way he was in the text that we had today. He was the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He was privileged over all his siblings. All of his 11 brothers knew that Joseph was the favorite. They knew this because, one, his father always liked to tell everybody that Joseph was his favorite, and he liked to give him special gifts, gifts that, just in case you didn't understand that Joseph was the favorite, look at his amazing coat, just so that you could pick him out in a crowd. That must be Jacob's favorite child. And so the brothers started to get jealous. They started to feel less than and insufficient. Well, why doesn't our father love us the same way that he loves Joseph? It's not my fault that I'm born to Leah. It's not my fault that I'm born to a different mother than Rachel. It's not my fault that I'm not Rachel's firstborn. Why can't he love me too? And the power of jealousy is that it transforms and perverts us into sinful beings. It makes us become something that not only recognizes our pain and suffering, but chooses to perpetuate it on others. And that's precisely what Joseph's brothers did to him. They caught hold of him one day and threw him in a pit. And then they spend time in the scriptures debating whether they should kill him or not. And ultimately, they decide, you know what, we're not going to kill him, but we're certainly not going to let him go home and tell dad. So they sell him into slavery. And ironically, they end up selling him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, who are named for Ishmael. And Isaac and Jacob were two brothers and sons of Abraham, and they didn't get along very well, and their mothers were jealous of them too. And so we have this jealousy that continues to rear its head and cause pain and suffering. And so he's sold into slavery, and the slavers take him down into Egypt, and they end up selling him to this man, Potiphar, a very wealthy, prestigious man who has the ear of Pharaoh. He has a huge household, not only of his house, but he has a field where apparently he's growing his own food for his household. And there Joseph goes into work for him. And his slavery is one where he is forced to debase himself. He cannot keep clean. He cannot keep kosher. He can't do the things that he would have normally done in his father's household. And so he completely has to transform into an Egyptian slave. And there, though, God chooses not to leave Joseph. Just because he finds himself in slavery, God does not reject Joseph or allow him to think for one second that God doesn't still love him. And so God starts to manifest this truth in the blessings of Joseph. When Joseph works, God blesses it. When Joseph serves, God makes it fruitful. And so others start to watch it and go, there's something to this Joseph. Have you ever seen that everything he does produces good results? Everything he does. 
Whether he knows what he's doing or not, God blesses him and it works. This is precisely what I was trying to tell Mary Alice and internally myself what happened. That if we do the work, if we are committed and we serve, that God will transform that into a success. It may not be the success that we envision. It may not be what we want it to happen in that way, but God's power is unparalleled and God can change what we cannot. And so Joseph became the apple of Potiphar's eye, second only to him in the household. Potiphar withheld nothing from Joseph except his wife. But unfortunately for Joseph, he was a very good-looking guy. Did you notice the scriptures want you to know that he was handsome and good-looking? Just in case you missed it, he's a good-looking guy. And so Potiphar's wife starts to be attracted to him, and she starts to invite him to commit adultery with her. And, and Joseph says, I can't do this. One, I can't do it because it's a sin against God. But two, I can't do it because how awful would that be? How disrespectful of your husband and my master. He has treated me so well. I cannot do this to him. But Potiphar's wife wouldn't take no for an answer. She continued to ask him and bait him. And finally one day, she completely caves to her lust for Joseph, and she grabs hold of his clothing and commands him to sleep with her. And he can't get away, so he actually gets out of his clothes. That's what you don't get in the text. She's holding his clothing, and he flees outside naked. That's how much he does not want to sin with her. And he flees naked, and of course, he has to kind of go hide somewhere because you've got to figure out what you're going to do until you have another set of clothes. And so in this time when he's naked and afraid and hiding, she takes that opportunity to sow seeds of lies. She takes that opportunity to catch him in her web of lies so that he will be made to suffer and ultimately go to prison. And she starts to weave this tale. First, she does it to the other members of the household, probably the slaves and the free. And then when her husband gets home, she spins the same tale to him. He has no choice, he feels, but to believe her. And yet if he stood there for a second and he really thought about it, this is Joseph. Joseph has done nothing but help me in my household. Joseph has honored everything that I have ever asked him to do. I've given him everything and he has been good to me. But yet he defaults to believing her. And so his response to that is to become enraged and to immediately throw Joseph into prison. He doesn't get a trial, he just gets a punishment. And he goes into prison and the text says that he goes into the prison where Pharaoh kept his people. This is not a country club prison. When Pharaoh was angry at you and threw you in prison, you were meant to suffer. This is truly a horrible place to be. Pharaoh didn't want you to go and recline somewhere on a sedan chair. Pharaoh wanted you to feel his wrath and the misery of being in his bad mood. And so Joseph finds himself here. It wasn't enough that he was rejected and hated by his brothers. It wasn't enough that he was sold into slavery and served in an Egyptian household. It wasn't enough that he was framed for rape and sent to prison. Now he has to abide in this dark pit of prison. And there, God says, I'm still not going to leave you. I didn't leave you in the pit. I didn't leave you in your slavery. And I will not leave you in prison. God continues to manifest this presence in the blessing of the work that Joseph does. And Joseph works, and he serves, and God is with him and blesses him. And the chief jailer even has to take note of God's presence and blessing upon Joseph. And he, too, will turn over the prison to Joseph because Joseph apparently is a very skilled administrator, something that many of us struggle with, and yet Joseph can do it. Now, our story ends there. I'm not going to go on beyond that. You are welcome this afternoon to go back and pick up Genesis and find out what happens to Joseph and how he gets reconnected with his brothers. That's a good movie that never gets made. And so what we end up finding out here is that Joseph 
ends in our text today in prison. That's where he abides. But that's where a lot of stories are for Christians and potential Christians right now. They are in prison and they are there. And all throughout our, our worship series in October, we're going to be exploring people who found themselves in prison because of what they were charged with. Jesus was charged with being the Messiah. The irony is he was, and why would you jail the Messiah? Joseph was framed, and Joseph was put in prison, and he was innocent, and yet God was still with him. And we're going to continue this in the next couple of weeks, but as we explore both people who were felons of our faith in the scriptures and in our Christian tradition and in our modern context, we have to remember something, that our culture stigmatizes that very harshly. The culture stigmatizes it, and yet we as Christians have been set free from our stigma. God doesn't say, I hear your prayer, sinner. God doesn't say, oh, you were my disobedient child. I think I'll make you wait out in the cold and in the darkness before I let you into my warmth and light. God immediately responds to us with grace. And we are being asked to do the same. We are being equipped and encouraged by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit through the words and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and through the creation and redemptive nature of our being human. By God the Father, we have been given everything that we need to choose a new way of response. Because our culture encourages us to react, encourages us to dislike, encourages us to get aggressive with our opponents, encourages us to get defensive so that we can go on the offense later. It encourages us to look and to judge. But we didn't get that from God. God didn't take us the moment that we realized that we needed faith, that we needed to repent, that we needed forgiveness, that we needed God's grace and love. God didn't look at us and say, you know what? I think I'm going to make you suffer a little bit. I think I'm going to remind you each and every day that you messed up. I think I'll spend all of my time throwing your sin back up into your face so that you truly feel like you're never really forgiven. I think I'll do that. Instead, God says, I am telling you that when you repent, when you come to me, and in the Old Testament when you brought your sacrifice, you were forgiven instantly. That moment you were forgiven. And when Jesus came, Jesus spent a lot of his time choosing to model proper response for us. Jesus came and people would come to him. They would bring people to him. And they wanted him to get outraged. They wanted him to get angry. They wanted him to condemn those people. And time and time again, in his affect, in what he does with his body, and how he responds with his words, Jesus chooses a different path. Instead of revealing the humanity, he chooses to reveal his divinity. Whether they are bringing him the adulteress that they caught and they throw her at his feet, or whether they're bringing him other people who were known to be sinners, or whether he was choosing to encounter people that they all took a wide berth around, they wanted to hear Jesus react and get as angry as they did, but he didn't. Instead, he would say things like, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Try again. And if no one else is going to condemn you because they recognize they're sinners too, well, then I'm not going to condemn you. Go forth and sin no more. His response is one of grace, and he's modeling it for us. All four gospel accounts for three years of earthly ministry show us that Jesus doesn't want us to react 
out of hurt and suffering and the pain that we have experienced. Nor does Jesus want us to visit that on another. His choice, time and time again, is grace. We serve a God that is not about reacting with vengeance. When God brought the people, the Israelites, out of their bondage and slavery, which is what we read together in our call to worship, in our gather, gathering liturgy, when we read that, God didn't say to them, all right, now turn around and enslave the Egyptians. Let them feel what you felt. Let them suffer as you have suffered. It's not what God said. God said, you know what? I'm going to take you to a place where you can heal. And then when you're ready, you can be my priestly people and you can be a light into this world. That's what God chooses to respond in this manner for. Because God recognizes that we have an opportunity to do something different, to do it a new way, a godly way. And then we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from the cross, he looks out on the very people that are responsible for unparalleled suffering, undeserved. And he says what? Forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. They are reacting to me and I will respond with grace. And then when he rises again on that first Easter on the third day, he doesn't immediately call together the apostles and say, get your hammers and your nails because we've got some crucifying to do. That's not his response. His response is to get right back in the ministry and say, you know what? We have good news. Today, you have seen the promise of the resurrection. Today, you have recognized that God will not forsake you, I will not forsake you, and death will not have the final say. His response is to push people back into the ministry and the direction rather than to call them account. He doesn't get up and go, Peter, you really abandoned me. I'm really angry at you, and I might not talk to you for about four chapters in Scripture. He doesn't do that. He doesn't get up and say, and where were the rest of you? At least he denied me. You all just abandoned me. He doesn't do that either. And the thing that the scriptures remain really silent on is that I'm sure those apostles were kicking themselves. I'm sure that they felt horrid, that they had abandoned him, that the second that he's arrested, they flee and they won't tell anybody they're with Jesus now. And even when he resurrects and others are talking about it, some of them are like, I don't believe that, really? Their faith is so fragile. But we are here today because somewhere on some level, whether it's very intellectual, very emotional, or very visceral, we are here because we recognize that God wants something different for us. And if we are willing to accept that truth for ourselves, then we must accept it for another. We have to recognize that there are people who are literally in prison. There are people who are in prison through their bodies, through their minds, through social imprisonment. There are people who are bound into a prison of exclusion and denial. There are people here in Crozet in a living prison. And we can react like the rest of the world and go, well, surely they had to do something for that. Surely they had to have played a part in their own misery. Or we can choose to respond like Jesus, and say, it doesn't really matter how you got here, but I am with you now. I am with you in a ministry of presence. I am with you in a ministry of prayer. I am with you if there is something that we can do to triage to help you right now, if you need food, if you need shelter, if you need a community to surround you and remind you with tangible signs of love and grace that you have not been abandoned by God, then we are beginning to build the kingdom. 
we are beginning to show the world a response rather than a knee-jerk reaction. Because the world is happy to label, categorize, and condemn. And Christ was not. Christ continually pushes us into places that are uncomfortable for us so that we can grow and be transformed. And even the reading that we heard from Ecclesiastes said God can bring someone out of prison and set them to reign. Jesus was a convicted felon. Joseph is a convicted felon. But God didn't abandon them the way people did. Joseph gets completely forsaken by Potiphar. As good as he was to Potiphar and his household, the second he goes into prison, he is persona non grata. And Potiphar won't enter back into the conversation, into the testimony and the witness of scripture again, because he has written Joseph off. And our job, anytime we encounter somebody and we feel that knee-jerk reaction, we feel it coming, our job is to pause and say, you know what? When I came to God, when I repented, when I chose to do it God's way rather than my way, when I recognized what I was doing was manifesting itself in sin and causing pain and suffering, God responded to me with love, mercy, and grace. And I will do nothing less for you. I will choose the path of Jesus for you because Jesus laid that path for me. And Jesus has practiced what he has preached. He has modeled what he meant. And we are called to nothing less. And so what it really means is restraining ourselves. It means focusing not on what we want to do, but what God wants us to do. And that's very hard for us. That's a constant struggle. Because the world is filled with testimonies and news reports and all kinds of images that bombard us that reinforce the idea that there are people that should suffer. Well, if we start judging people based upon who we think we should suffer, then we're in for a real shocker come judgment day. Because all of us sin. And yes, maybe our sins aren't felony level. Maybe our sins wouldn't get us life in prison or a time, a stint on death row. But all of us sin. And God doesn't have misdemeanor and felony sins. God says your sins are as deadly for you as his sins are for her and his sins are for him and her sins are for her. Your sins create a barrier with me and that is spiritually deadly. And I choose to forgive you. Why can you not do likewise? And Jesus is encouraging us and equipping us to do that. In a moment, Madison of her own free will has chosen to be baptized. And she will come up here and she will kneel and like countless Christians before her, she will take her vows and she will receive the holy water and a portion of the Holy Spirit to be with her. And our prayer is that not only is this a blessing for her, but it's a blessing for us and a blessing for the world. That God will start working through her in new and powerful transformative ways. That perhaps she will reveal to us how to respond rather than react. As she grows and is equipped through this Holy Spirit that she's received, perhaps she will show us a new and holier way of being so that we can look into the world and go, you know, when our time here is over, when we are finished, 
we feel good about leaving it in hands of people like Madison because she recognizes that God responds with grace and she is choosing that today. Many of us were baptized when we were infants and we didn't have a chance to choose it, but when we confirmed, we were. When we joined the church, we did. And now, as adults in various places in our lives, do we choose each day to respond with grace or do we choose to react like the human beings that we default to be? May we be inspired and encouraged by what Madison is going to reveal to us today and what God will do through Madison to remind us that there are people that are in prisons, no matter what kind, and it doesn't matter what they did or what they didn't do, they remain a child of God. When they're Madison's age, when they're my age, when they're twice my age, you remain a child of God. That never goes away. And when God is seeking to bless you and bless through you, then it doesn't matter where you've been and what you did or where you're stuck right now. Instead, God's grace is driving us to look into the bright and beautiful future, the kingdom to come, where every person not only recognizes that they are a child of God, but we are all equally celebrated as children of God. In the kingdom, there are no favorites. In the kingdom, God loves us all so much that we feel like we are the favorite. But we can look at an abundance of people and recognize that God is the perfect parent and never favors one over the other, never makes any of us feel less than insignificant or unwanted. Our job is to reveal that truth now. And it will take the entire body of Christ to do that work. But because of what God has shown us, we know that it can be done. And because of sacraments like Holy Communion and Baptism and the equipping of the Holy Spirit, we know that we can do it. So let us try. Let us try to be people that respond rather than react. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.